Good evening, everyone. I'm broadcasting live May 11th. Today's topic is friend, friendship, friends. It's from the Sigrovada Sutta, the uh, uh, exhortation or the teaching to Sigala, Singala or Singalika, depending how you say his name. That's widely considered to be the definitive sutta or definitive ta uh, source for worldly um, worldly right conduct and deportment and practice so how to practice the Dhamma in, in the world, living in the world so a lot of it is uh, fairly uh, I guess relatively superficial in the sense that there's much of it isn't about deep uh, spiritual truths but it's all very dhammic it's about um, very righteous very good it's about living a good life living an honest life living a successful life finding happiness in this life happiness in the next life and cultivating spirituality even as a lay person this is one of the better known passages from it. It's about the four types of people who are called Amita Mitapati Rupa or Mitapati Rupaka. Amita means they are not friends. Mitapati Rupaka means they appear to be friends. They have the appearance or the They're like friends. So they should be known as appearing to be friends, but not friends. And then we have the four types of people who are called Mita su Suhada. Mita means they are friends. Suhada means they are real friends. I don't know where that word comes from, Suhada. And uh, so neat about this passage is it does go into some detail about each of the four, but first we step back and let's talk about this distinction because the interesting <coughs> point being made here is a questioning that we, that we must question, uh, analyze and apply wisdom to friendship and that this is an important aspect of our spiritual practice. And what makes a person a friend? Is it the fact that you have known them for a long time? Is it a fact that they bring you pleasure or, or, or joy? Is it a fact that uh, you engage in amusement or entertainment with them. In 
All of these are reasons why we choose friends. And too often you hear people um, lamenting the relationship that they have with their friends, but yet still trying to make it work. Because why? Because he or she is my friend. Which is curious, because if the person is a through and through corrupt individual, why are they your friend? You see, so the reason why we pick friends or why we consider people to be our friends is, is often somewhat arbitrary. I remember in high school, very interesting time, in a sort of a sick and twi twisted way, because uh, you could be friends in, in a group and then suddenly one person would become ostracized and forced out of the group just because it just seemed seemingly on a whim suddenly everyone shunned someone i remember this i was never on the receiving end of it but i remember being part of that and cliques and really bizarre looking back and wondering why why did we pick the people we picked often it's a mob mentality very scary. And the friends that I chose were often for how excited they, you know, I mean, we choose friends for how excited we become around them, often because we look up to them or we envy them, sometimes because they uh, provide us simply with entertainment or we consider them to be witty or maybe wise even, but usually just smart or witty or uh, sometimes there's an amount of competition involved right? people who we compete with in friendly competition remember when i returned back from having meditated i lost most of my old friends tried to hook up with them but i was only really interested in uh, bringing them to come and practice meditation which they uh, generally weren't interested in and I was doing a poor job of, of uh, being human, really. <laughs> Very much indoctrinated at the time. Um, but yeah, this is the, the, the key here is uh, the importance of right friendship. You know, the most important thing for us is our inner practice, but the second most important thing has got to be friendship. Because it's the it's it's your place in, in what it means to be a, a being, you know. In in uh, sentience. Where you place yourself on the scale of sentience, you know? the, the the positive or the negative the good or the bad. It's very much to do with your friends. If you place yourself in a group of friends, group of people who are committed to unwholesomeness, that's where you place yourself in, in, in your state of being. So it's your external, it's, uh, it's your environment, it's the external. But the internal is all about your own meditation and that doesn't matter who you're surrounded by but the external 
the external is uh, that which supports and that which uh, nourishes your spiritual practice. And so surrounding ourselves with whoever is really a poor way of uh, you know, going about it. The Buddha gives us some fairly, fairly uh, clear guidelines and uh, a sharp sort of distinction. Well, how, how should we go about making friends or choosing friends, choosing who we associate with? Now, it's important to understand this doesn't refer to who we should be friendly towards. I mean, I think that's fairly obvious, but sometimes we... We, we confuse the two. You know, just because someone you don't consider someone worthy of friendship doesn't mean you shouldn't be friendly to them. I think there's a distinction because I don't think everyone should be worthy of our friendship. Everyone should be considered worthy of our friendship. Some people are simply not worthy of it. I don't know if that sounds somewhat arrogant or, or uh, cold or so on. Maybe it's the wrong way of placing it. Worthy, unworthy is not maybe not the best word, but I think it, it in a technical sense, it does make sense. Like, it's not worth having this friendship. This friendship isn't good for either of you. This friendship isn't something that is beneficial. There's no benefit, therefore it's not worth it. That's all I really mean. I don't mean to put ourselves above others. Just there's no benefit to it. If all you do is drag each other down, not a good thing. You know, having, having, letting evil people take advantage of you is very bad for them, right? So it's not something you want to cultivate, not just for your own benefit, for theirs as well. So the four types of, uh, the English, the, oh no, these are, these are pretty good. I better not because I'll get mixed up. So there's the greedy person. That's not the right translation. Anyway, the greedy person, the one who speaks but does not act. He's not translating directly. Anya Dattuharo. One who... Hmm. One who looks only for their own benefit, or something like that, I'm not quite sure. Wadji uh, paramo, one who is only, in Thai they say, di tepu, means they say good things, but that's it. Parama means that the, the, that's it, the extent. Wadji is speech. They're only good, they only talk a good game. Anupiyabhani, one who speaks one who speaks uh, one who flatters you right anubio mani one who speaks uh, to flatter you the flatterer and number four abaya sahayo not the squander abaya sahayo one who is your companion in ruin, one who leads you to ruin. So these four, the person who is 
only out for their own gain, the one who is only good for perspective, for only good for uh, empty promises, that kind of thing. Uh, the person who, is, who flatters, the flatterer, and the companion in ruin. And then he gives four, uh, four reasons for each. So the greedy one, the one who is only looking for their own, they're greedy, they give little and ask much. Anyway, you can read through these. They're in the Diga Nikaya, the Sigalovada Sutta, Diga Nikaya number 31. Definitely worth reading. Not going to go into it, just talking a little bit about friendship and good friends. The four kinds of good friends, people who should be known as friends, are, let's go to Pali. Pakaru, one who does, one who helps. Samana Sukadukku, one who is the same in happiness and suffering. Atakai, one who atakari, one one uh, one who speaks kai, one who speaks what is beneficial. Anukampako, one who is compassionate, or sympathetic. Yeah, sympathetic. These are for real friends. So the first one, let's talk at least a little bit explaining these, right? So the first one is the greedy one. This is the kind of person who just is only your friend so that for their own benefit, right? Maybe they... They borrow money from you, or they, maybe they mooch off of you. They're only in it because of the benefit it is to them, the, the material benefit that you give them. Not uh, not beneficial for either of you, really. Wadji, uh, no. Uh, yeah, Wadji Paramo, one who speaks good. So this is a person who, who talks about, it, it says in the description, they talk about things they've done for you in the past. They talk about things that they'll do for you in the future, but they never do anything. Uh, they never do anything to to help others, but they're always bragging about how much they've done for you in the past, or or how much they'll, what they'll do for you in the future. Once had a man when I was in Thailand. He 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 was just lying through his teeth. It was really impressive. He, uh, he told us he, he had all this money coming to him and he was going to give us $250,000 to start a monastery. And then he just up and disappeared. And, and then, so he got me to help him with a bunch of stuff. And, and after I realized that was it, he was just uh, buttering me up with all these flat out lies. These people actually do exist. Con artists. Anupia Bhani, one who flatters you. Yes, I've been through this. I've had people. When I was in Sri Lanka, this happened. It was incredible. This man, oh, he was such a flatterer. And it really didn't, that really didn't get to me. But I had no clue that he was a bad person because uh, 
I was I was given given into his care by a monk who uh, a very very famous fairly well known monk in the U.S. and uh, it was it was really bizarre finding out that people were giving him donations for me and he was he was squandering them on women and drink and gambling. Incredible, he had anyway. It's a long story. But uh, he was definitely a flatterer. It was very dangerous because it's easy to get a big head when people flatter you. And then you edit once you once you're you know you lose your your objectivity. Abaya sahayo. This is a person who leads you to ruin. So this is the kind of person we often become friends with. You know, there was an interesting thing coming back and looking at people who I knew and and realizing that many of the people who I had uh, focused my energy on were exactly the type of people who were who were un you know uh, detrimental, leading to ruin. And the people who like to drink, the people who like to uh, you know people who are obsessed with sensuality, sexuality, that kind of thing. And and a lot of the people who I had uh, ignored or kind of marginalized because they were boring, because they were straight, you know, on the, on the straight and narrow. I, looking back, you know, looking at them, they really became, wow, these are the kind of people I, I would have liked to have stayed in contact with. And, some of them I have actually gotten back in contact with because they were good people. And uh, that's the thing is we, we, we often are friends with, we have friends not because of the good they do for us, but because of how they, um, how they reaffirm or they assuage our, our, our guilty feelings at our indulgences because they indulge with us. And so we're not the only one, and therefore uh, we're, we're less concerned about our unwholesomeness. And then we have someone else doing it as well. Can't be all that bad, right? And the four who are real friends upakaro, one who actually helps you, you know, friends who help each other, who, uh, you know, provide actual support. You know, someone is your friend when they think to help you, when they think to do something to your benefit, when they guard you and they, uh, they've got your back, you know. Samana sukadukho is someone who doesn't abandon you in times of trouble. When the going gets hard, gets going gets tough, that's when you know your real friends. When they stick with you, they don't abandon you when you're in in difficulty. You know this person's no fun anymore. Now he's all got all these problems. Let's go find people who don't have all these problems so we can have a happy time again. You know. No, someone who sticks with you in happy times and in unhappy times. And other, other people are like that. When things get good, when things are bad, they stick with you. But when things get good, they become intoxicated with their pleasure and they treat you poorly. 
Atakai is someone who speaks speaks benefit, speaks meaningful things. This is a person who you definitely have to stick with. This is like the Buddha. No, Buddha is the greatest friend because he speaks that which is beneficial, that which is helpful. Stay with such people, people who say good things, people who instruct or advise or remind you of what's good and what's bad, even if it hurts sometimes. Sometimes it's unpleasant to be around people who point out your faults, but you should consider them as pointing out buried treasure. It's far more valuable. Anukampako is one who sympathizes. One who sympathizes is uh, one who wishes to help, right? One who is compassionate. When you're in suffering, they try to you know, try to find a way for you to get out of suffering. There's someone who uh, is in tune with you when you need a uh, when you need a friend to to, to listen. You know, when you need someone to listen to you. They listen when you need someone to support they're there to support you as they sympathize right is sad at your misfortunes, rejoices in your good fortune, restrains others from speaking ill of you, and he commends those who speak well of you. So, anyway, a little bit about friendship. Definitely worth reading the whole sutta. Okay, we got some questions here from last night. Wasn't Ananda being altruistic by tending to the Buddha's needs? Um, potentially altruistic, because but he was only a sotapanna, so it may have been may not doesn't mean it was right that he did it. Um, but no, Ananda was chosen. He didn't ask to be the Buddha's uh, attendant. He was asked to, to do it, so he was doing it out of gratitude. Uh, but my point about altruism is that people who are, are are altruistic because it pleases them to be altruistic, and it's because it pleases them. If if there were if, if being altruistic was thoroughly uh, reprehensible, what's the word? Thoroughly um, repulsive to you, you wouldn't. You how could you be altruistic? Why would you be altruistic if it was thoroughly un unpleasing to you? You know. So what we do, we do because it pleases us. So it's not really altruistic. We help others because it pleases us to do so. We may not say it, and we'll say, no, that's not why we do it, but it is. We do it because it, it, has, a, it has a positive uh, association in our minds. Still for our own benefit, that's the thing. Due to also having unhealthy thinking and views, I noticed that it was difficult to make progress. Now I've been practicing. When and or how can I assess that I'm wholesome and guarded well enough to start insight meditation again? 
having unhealthy thinking and views, well, thinking isn't unhealthy. This is the problem if you judge your thoughts. That's the problem, not the thoughts themselves. So try and let the thoughts be, just acknowledge them thinking, thinking. I mean, it's, it's a process. You should never put aside uh, insight meditation unless you're Unless you're insane, you know, then you got to become insane. You got to become like if you can't be mindful, period, then then it's you can't practice. But as long as you can, my teacher said, if you can show show someone a cup of water and a cup of rice, and if they can tell the difference, they can practice insight meditation. Difficult to make progress. You say it was difficult to make progress. Absolutely, it's difficult to make progress. If it was easy, we'd all be enlightened. That's not a reason to stop. In fact, it's a, it's a sign that you're probably doing something right. As if it was very, very easy, you might want to be suspicious. Not always. Some people have easy practice, but for the most part, it's, it, it should be difficult because it challenges you. So just because you're banging your head against the wall or it feels like banging the head against doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. At the very least, you're learning that banging your head against the wall hurts. Well, that's very much a part of what, we, what our practice is. Learning how much it hurts to bang our heads against the wall. So in the future, we don't even think to do it. And then we have someone named Melind teaching here. I'm always wary of people coming on here and teaching because I don't know if they're teaching what I teach. So everything here should be taken with a grain of salt and we don't endorse the views of anyone who posts. We should have a little disclaimer somewhere. Are there advantages or disadvantages to meditating outside in nature? Who is this? Looks familiar. Former academic. Um, I've, I've answered this before, actually, a couple of times, I think. Uh, so nature, I, I, my view is that nature is beneficial not for what it is, but for what it isn't. Nature is about the most um, recognizable or, or comfortable uh, environment for a human being to be in because it's still very much in our psyche. That's why when we go to nature we feel peaceful because it doesn't have all this stuff that is not um, familiar. So uh, because nature is free from all of this uh, jarring stimuli, therefore I think there's a benefit to practicing in nature. I mean the Buddha was clear about it. It seems to be, you know, it's not the kind of thing you want to put too much emphasis on obviously because in the end, it's all just seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. But nature makes it easier, uh, which may or may not be a good thing. But in the beginning, it's generally a good thing. Um, and it makes your practice go quicker and it makes it stronger. So generally a good, not because of what it is, but because of what it isn't. Because it uh, isn't jarring. It isn't, it isn't stress-inducing, so it makes you calm quite quickly.
considering taking refuge in the five precepts. Hmm. What considering or change consideration should I make? Consider to these arrangements after formally taking. I already made arrangements for cremation of our bodies. I wouldn't worry about the body. The body's just ashes to ashes and dust to dust, whatever that means. I mean, it's just dust in the wind. But good for you for taking refuge in five precepts. I mean, it's a bit. I mean, the kind of the, the cynic in me wants to say uh, there really isn't a ceremony. I, mean, I want to ruin this whole thing for y'all because taking refuge means taking refuge. You know, do you do you take refuge? Do you uh, listen to the Buddha's teaching, follow it, and and appreciate it? And the five precepts, you know, do you keep them? But over time there has evolved to be a ceremony so there is a ceremony and i'm happy to do it in fact we do it uh, every week when we have our sutta study class uh, or we sudimaga study class we just haven't had any of these classes but uh, for that class we've been doing it before every time before we uh, before we do the class now like in thailand when they come for when they come for to offer lunch to the monks, often the monks will give them the five precepts and the three refuges. They'll do a ceremony. So, uh, I mean, I would, you know, it's done every day in, in, in Buddhist monasteries in Thailand and Sri Lanka. That's right. Also for Sri Lankans, when they offer monk to the uh, offer lunch to the monks, the monks give them the five precepts. The three refuges. So it's not um, it's not that big of a deal, but there is a ceremony, and it's something you can do anytime. I don't. I mean, I see a lot of Westerners really making a big deal out of it, and 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 telling me about other people who did the ceremony. I'm like, well, you know, we do that every day in Thailand. I already know people do it once a week or whenever they do it. Some people chant it every day. I used to chant the five precepts and the eight precepts. I chanted the eight precepts on the Upasana days and the five precepts regularly. That was so wonderful for me because I'd broken all the precepts, right? Uh, and to just have this power where now I was finally doing something that I could see was right, I could know was right. It's pretty powerful. But I'd say just go ahead and do it for the most part. Anyway, I don't think that was quite your question. Um, I wouldn't worry about those arrangements. How close to Chan, CMC, and Tai Chi? I don't have no idea what you're saying. Sorry. That's not a very good, well-worded well question, statement, sentence. Do we need to see the rising and falling of the stomach in terms of the primary elements? If so, does does it become Dhammanupasana at that point instead of Kahenupasana? Sanka, you're overthinking things as usual. Well, not as usual, you're overthinking things. 
mud. Rising and falling is, is the wild duck, or it's, it's stiffness, that's them. You, you, you can't help but see it. It is, the, it is, you know, it's like, should we see a tiger as a tiger? When you see a tree, should you see the tree in it? I mean, it is a tree. You don't have to go looking for the tree. Why, this is why Odad, that's what it is. And see, that's the problem with Dhammanupasana. It's a really difficult one to explain because it's much more, um, much more about, it's much more about uh, what it is. You know, that's, that's highly unexplanatory. But it's about them being groups, you know. It's not about the individual parts of the, the five aggregates. It's about the, the, the concept of the five aggregates, the teaching, the Dhamma of the five aggregates. Five aggregates as Dhamma is, is different from uh, the five aggregates. As Dhamma, it's, a, it's an idea, the idea of uh, that we are, there is no self, right? That we are just made up of the five aggregates. I mean that's not even entirely comprehensive. It's, it, but you know the dhamma. The, the dhamma is very hard to explain for me. I've never had a really satisfactory explanation, which makes me feel that it's it's actually not something that can be explained homogeneously. You know the different aspects of dhamma uh, uh, refer to different things and different meanings of the word dhamma even. But they all are teachings of the Buddha. So Dhamma Nupasana is much more. I like to translate Dhamma there as teachings. You know? So when you're practicing Satipatthana, you need to keep these things in mind as teachings because they have they play an important role in your meditation. That's about the best I can do about Dhamma Nupasana. Brent. There's a sutta where the Buddha instructs Moggallana on how to overcome drowsiness. Moggallana is practicing the signless concentration. It's just the same as seeing the impermanence that the noting practice leads to. Yes. Signless. Signless is animitta. It's not anicca. In Pali, it would be animitta. Animitta is a sign. Animitta means no sign. It means no warning, basically. There's no uh, f uh, uh, precursor. No, what do you call it? There's nothing that, that um, uh, I can't think of the word, foreshadow or another thing that, that uh, gives you an indication that something's going to happen. Yeah, I can't remember the word. So that's so it, it refers to impermanence because things don't have warning; they change chaotically. You can't predict. You can't expect. So trying to fix, trying to hold on, is a sure recipe for disaster and suffering. Are you trying to ask how close we are to these things? 
are we close to being Chan, Dharma realm? Because that's none of us. None of that is us. I would recommend that you read my booklet on how to meditate because that's where you start. And then you can take it from there and see what you think. Anyway, let's stop there then. Thank you all. Have a good night. We will probably see you all tomorrow. Or you'll see me tomorrow. Good night.